Hello, and welcome into the conversation. It's your host, Adrian Lawrence, and I have some great guests for you today with just some insightful information. You're gonna be excited to listen. So first up, we are talking to a tech guru who led the launch of Amazon Prime. He's also served as the chief digital officer for the Washington Post and is now spearheading a science backed virtual reality platform called Florio. Welcome in Vijay Ravindran, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Vijay, let's talk about Florio. Your company showcases some new age technology that's really targeting on helping teach social communication and life skills for people on the autism spectrum. So what makes Florio just cutting edge? Well, we use virtual reality as a medium for teaching social skills. We're able to create environments that take kids to places they can't go, especially today. And we're able to create an environment they can practice skills over and over again to reach the length they want to get to. That's fantastic, and it sounds like it could be extremely beneficial. And I know we kind of already touched upon the fact that this software or this technology is largely geared toward children on the autism spectrum. And what really kind of, I guess, made you want to create this technology? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. You know, Florio is inspired by my son, who is on the autism spectrum. And the idea for the company came from his first experience using the technology. From there, we started working with clinical experts, kept getting positive feedback. And once we met with families and saw what a great need it was to find new technologies and skills to be able to teach. We were off and running, and we've been able to work with great partners to build a really fantastic system today. That's fantastic. It sounds like your son is already changing the game, and I can dig that. And something that may seem very helpful with this technology, it seems in kind of the interaction area when it comes to policing. I see that researchers at Drexel University at their Autism Institute that they found recently that at least 20% of individuals on the autism spectrum have been stopped or questioned by police by the age of 21 and at least 5% have been arrested. So what makes police encounters so dangerous for individuals on the autism spectrum? Yeah, it, this is a huge concern area and has been for years. Um, you know, go all the way back to when we started the company in 2016, when there was a, a really terrible incident involving uh, an African American therapist who was helping an adult with autism and was shot by the police. Policing is difficult for, for kids with special needs because they don't necessarily respond to the same cues. Difficult enough to think of kids knowing and doing exactly the right things in that moment, knowing how challenging these interactions with police can be. Uh, I'm particularly haunted by something a therapist that we work with told us uh, who works in inner city of Washington DC, she said, I have kids who are 12, they look 18 to the police and they have the developmental age of six. And so when they're on the streets, on the sidewalks, trying to use the Metro, if they have an encounter with law enforcement, I don't know how that's gonna go. And it's a very scary thing. I myself am on the autism spectrum. And when I do encounter police, I, I have to alert them in advance that I can't take multiple commands at once. That we have to essentially do things one at a time because not only is it nerve wracking, but I cannot, my, my working memory is not very strong. So thank you for creating this. Especially since also we've seen recently there have been several incidents where police have shot individuals on the autism spectrum, including a 13 year old boy in Salt Lake City. So how does Florio really change the game 
when it comes to individuals on the autism spectrum and interacting with police? Yeah, so for the last three and a half years, we've been working with Children's Hospital of Philadelphia on what is really groundbreaking research. We initially worked with the police in the Washington DC area in Montgomery County, Maryland to understand the types of dialogue police officers would engage in when they saw someone and wanted to question them. Knowing that officers might be prone to using colloquialisms or expressions that are difficult to parse if if you're on the autism spectrum and might take things more literally. And so from there, we built scenes that really replicated the stress of the situation of an encounter. So the city with distractions, with people gawking, with cars passing by, with honking, and then these officers are talking to you. They might be on the face of it asking what seems like simple questions, but when you're in that moment with that glare, someone glowering at you, it becomes very stressful and, and difficult. Something that if you can practice, you can get better at. What we're able to do is work with researchers to come up with some great study structure where we worked with individuals on the spectrum who were 12 and above. They went through the interventions, gave us feedback. We were able to get a, a large amount of funding from NIH to build on that. And then we worked closely with the Philadelphia Police Department to create an intervention where they were interviewing the subjects at the end to understand the level of improvement we could gain. And so we're happy to report that what we've been able to teach is successful. Um, The software is very sophisticated. It is able to not only uh, create the environment that you would have these encounters, but the police officers themselves get agitated, become friendly based on the reactions of the individuals in the VR environment. And the adults that are working with them can also um, be able to uh, tune the the scenes to be able to be more or less challenging based on how they perceive this person might encounter in the real world. That is really fabulous, and I love to hear it. Especially, I can I can relate to kind of this colloquialisms and abstract terms because those are not my jam, and I have the biggest struggles and difficulties with them. So I like that you all are exploring this. And also, you know, the fact that you are working on the end of individuals who are on the spectrum, but also I know that there is a big push to change policing, you know, in terms of how individuals interact with the members of the public because everyone is different. So someone may not be giving you eye contact or may seem extremely nervous or out of place. And how that shouldn't necessarily be associated with criminality. (laughs) And so Florio seems to definitely do the changes on the civilians end. But what about changing on the policing end? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is something we hear often. You know, I think from our perspective, we're trying to help families who have legitimate concerns about how the real world works right now. Obviously, there's many aspects of the real world that are not fair and should be more accommodating than they are today. Um, we've been fortunate to work with police departments that are thinking progressively about at least their responsibility. Um, and we're happy that uh, we actually received additional grant money from NIH to actually start building empathy training as what run on this platform. So one of our add-on projects that we are doing with Children's Hospital Philadelphia is going to be centered around building empathy training so that officers can potentially go through and recognize uh, when they're encountering someone that is neurodiverse and needs accommodations and how those interactions work and how you know they need to to be patient and not jump to this conclusion they might be doing today. That add-on sounds really fantastic. 
And so in terms of the future, is there anything else that you're gonna be adding on to Florio or that you'd like to see the company go in a particular direction? Yeah, we're adding new scenes every month. We just released a new scene on why wear a mask during COVID-19 where we simulate how droplet out of your nose and mouth and how you can make things a lot safer if you and those around you wear masks. Um, this is again an area where sometimes being more literal about the nasal droplets and how those float in the air can actually really punctuate the point as to why to wear the mask uh, if someone's really asking a lot of questions about trying to understand what's happening, especially with germs, which you see. Um, we're also uh, developing content for uh, people with ADHD and trying to help in the different cognitive areas around attention and impulse control and working memory, visual spatial skills that are challenging not only for people with an ADHD diagnosis, but commonly overlapping with those on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's one of my comorbidities, so that's great. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm also wondering how accessible will this be to the majority of society? Yeah, great question. Um, a key, one of the things we're proud of is that we're now in approved uh, treatment in Maryland for Medicaid, and uh, we have approval as well in DC. So we Medicaid as a really important program that reaches the most uh, vulnerable and important. Uh, ch- kids to reach with technology like this. So we've been focused on talking to state Medicaid programs, as well as through public special education programs to reach kids. We use very inexpensive technology today. Our virtual reality experience is powered by an smartphone and iPhone 7 or above is compatible. We use headsets that hold the phones that are $15. And and then the virtual reality environment is built and paired with an iPad. And so we think this technology can be accessible to everyone over time. And uh, and then hopefully working with programs like Medicaid and also create reimbursement opportunities so that it's accessible no matter what your economic level. Awesome, thank you so much, Vijay. And can you tell everyone where they can find you and find out more about Florio? Yeah, I'm interested to go to floriotech.com, F-L-O-R-E-O-T-E-C-H. And we have sections there for both families who are looking to that more for themselves in the home, as well as to introduce their school districts or clinics that they go to for therapy, as this potentially could be something they're using. And one thing we didn't mention, but the system also works over distance learning. So you can have a child wear a headset and have a specialist over internet be able to, to use the system. Excellent, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Welcome back to the conversation, it is Adrian Lawrence. And now I am bringing you an established Hollywood actress who you've seen everywhere from Firefly to Suits. Most recently, she revamped her role as savvy attorney Jessica Pearson and USA Network's Suits spinoff, Pearson. Joining us today is Gina Torres. Welcome into the conversation, Gina. Thank you, thank you, Adrian. it's great to be here. Thank you, and foremost, congrats on your recent Imahen nomination for Best Actress in a TV Series, your <laughs> role in Pearson, that is so cool. Thank you, thank you. I, you know, I so, so appreciate the Imahen Foundation and, and the Imahen Awards for, you know, creating 
this this event and this platform for all of us, for the Latinx community and, and everyone to, to actually be able to appreciate our contributions throughout the year. So this is a very, very special nomination for me and it, and it, and it always has been and I love attending. Unfortunately, we won't be able to this year, but yeah, it's, it's a great, great feeling. Thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. And I know you made history as the first Afro-Latina to create, produce, and star in her own show <laughs> in Pearson. So it must be pretty exciting to have this nomination on the table. What was it like working on the show and creating, you know, your own place as far as it goes? Oh, uh, you know, just hearing that, just hearing those words, you made history, uh, is a little difficult. I'm not gonna. It's a lot difficult to wrap your brain around. <laughs> That's not what you necessarily go into, uh, you know, a dream job believing. Uh, or thinking that it's going to happen, um, that after so many years that I would be the first uh, Afro-Latina to to produce and and um, star in her own show, it was incredible. It was not just not just having a seat at the table, but knowing that my voice was going to be heard and magnified in such a way that I'll be able to tell stories real. Stories that impact certainly the community that I grew up in, the community that is that I understood the world to be, and so that was the most important part for me. And 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 being able to to you know be a part of choosing the actors, be a part of of the story writing, and and nurturing all that and and bringing it to to the people. That was great. Absolutely. And representation, it's just so incredibly important in Hollywood. And unfortunately, we didn't see as much representation as we would have wanted in the diversity pool at the Emmys last weekend. Yes. Um, you know, and there was a lot of talk about the fact that MJ Rodriguez, India Moore of Pose, also Pedro Pascal of The Maldalarian. You know, a lot of amazing Latinx talent kind of just being left off when it comes to mainstream award shows. So what do you think? Is the reason why? You know, it's it's such a mixed bag. You know, there used to be the excuse that uh, that there just wasn't enough representation out there, right? Like there wasn't access. There weren't the roles to choose from. There weren't there wasn't the the, the talent pool to choose from because we just weren't. Being let in, whether it was black or Latino or Asian or you know, I mean, everybody who's not Caucasian, right? Yeah. And now that's that's just no excuse. That's not a valid excuse anymore. There is so much access. There is so much content. There are so many. I mean, streaming services to be a part of, to be able to to see and watch all this. And and it's not just. Cable, it's not just streaming. Also, network TV has made you know big leaps and bounds. So, really, I think at this stage in the game, it's about breaking a habit. People need to break the habit and change the channel and tune into something that they may not immediately recognize, but if they give it a chance, they'll understand. What we as people of color throughout decades 
have understood, which was we find common ground in the Caucasian characters that have been shoved down our throats <laughs> for decades and kindly and politely because that's all we saw. And so what we as people of color needed to focus on was the humanity that was being portrayed in front of us. That was our point of interaction, right? So now we're asking the viewing public to do the same and to confront and embrace the humanity of the stories that are being put in front of them, even though the faces are not familiar to them. And yes. that's, that's where we that's where we realize that we really do all want, you know, much more than not, we all want the same things. We all there is far more that unites us than separates us. If we continue to make steps towards towards um, uh, um, joining in that humanity. Absolutely, greater representation is so important. You know, not centering voices in media, in television around white characters, but getting out there. And unfortunately, I had learned that following the cancellation of ABC's The Baker and the Beauty, TV is lacking a majority Latinx cast <laughs> and a major broadcast network. So yes. hopefully that'll change soon. And we know change has really been the topic of conversation in 2020, particularly as it concerns social justice issues. And yeah. as we saw yesterday with Brianna Taylor's murder investigation coming to an indictment where we have only one officer being indicted for mm -hmm. a low level felony. And that indictment is not in connection with Taylor's death, but you know, bullets hitting the neighbor's wall. Yeah. As an Afro Latina and as an invested member of society, how do you feel about this response to Breonna Taylor's murder? I I think I feel the way most of us out there feel. It, it's it's not enough. It's infuriating. It's um, it's offensive uh, because at the end of the day, you know, what do we what what do we have? What what do we look to in terms of? In, in a situation where no one is taking responsibility for the death of an innocent young woman. So did that just happen? Is that what we're, she was, oh, she just had, she just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, there, there are really so many nuances to this case. I mean, you, I mean, you can argue no knock warrants, which should be completely obliterated, I believe. You can argue excessive force, which again, I believe if you have people that are going into a situation blind, but they're seasoned, they've been on the force for a long time. Um, I wanna believe that they can assess a situation and not have to pummel an entire apartment with endless rounds of ammunition. I, I, I need to believe that, I want to believe that. Um, but that's not what I'm being shown time and time and time again. And so that doesn't necessarily make me feel safe. And when no one takes responsibility for that, then where does that leave us? And there are a lot of, there's still so many questions to be answered. There's still so much work to do there. And, and, it, and it really is about, again, it, part of, part of the, the, the beauty of what I believe 
I, I, I do. And and um, and the artistry of the um, of the world that I that I um, am a member of is we are we are in the we are in the business of confronting people with their own humanity, and that's what we need to do. I mean, I can't I can't say it enough. You ha- we have to listen. Everyone has to listen to each other and really understand. And, and come to a point of understanding that it's not more, it's the same. It's what you want for your kids. It's what you want for your family. It's the same, it's not more, it's the same. And right now it's not. You are spot on, Gina, thank you so much for sharing that. And you know, I hope things change in the future. And let's also talk about the future since we have just a few minutes left. Yes. Uh, your future in particular, you're joining season two of 911 Lone Star on Fox, playing yeah. opposite Liv Tyler and Rob Lowe. That is very exciting. What gets you most amped about this opportunity? Oh, it's it's to inhabit um, another strong woman with a very different skill set than I've than I've had before. Um, I'm not gonna lie, it was great walking around in couture and um, and stilettos, but I'm happy to put the stilettos away and uh, and explore um, a different world, a different way of being in it, uh, being a strong woman in it with a family and a and um, a husband and children and this job that's incredibly demanding Um, and being an Afro Latina in those shoes. That is fantastic and we cannot wait to watch you. Thank you so much for joining us, Gina. And we wish you well tonight on your best actress nomination for your role as Jessica Pearson. And is there anything you wanna leave us all with? Oh Gosh, um, wash your hands, wear a mask, be kind, be kind to each other. Thank you so much, Gina. Take care. (laughs) Thank you.